Well, good evening everyone. It's great to be with you again. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the good weather that the Lord is providing us with at the moment. I must say it was great to be back uh, at the lifeboat on Sunday past at our drive-in service. And of course this Sunday it continues at 11am and hopefully then on Sunday night, God willing, we're going to begin a series of open airs and the first one I believe will be in Dungannon Centre and that'll be this Sunday uh, at 7pm and I hope you can join us. So we're going to uh, turn to the, the Word of God this evening to Psalm chapter 54, Psalm 54 and we'll read through uh, the whole of the psalm together. It's just seven verses, Psalm 54 and uh, it begins Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Let's bow in a wee word of prayer. Our gracious God and loving eternal Father, we just give you thanks for uh, the beautiful weather that you've given us, we thank you, Lord, for the health and strength that we have to be able to enjoy it. And we just pray, Lord, for everyone that has taken the time to tune in tonight. We pray, Lord, that you will bless them from your word. We pray that you'll speak to them, Lord, from this Psalm 54. And as we gather around your word this evening, Lord, we just want to give you thanks for uh, the fact that we're able to get back out again uh, at the drive-in services. We pray that you'll bless every fellowship that uh, has taken upon themselves to to conduct these drive-in services and where your word is faithfully preached we pray lord that there you will be uh, in their midst so father we just pray that in these days your word will go forth and uh, that your word will penetrate the darkest heart and that you'll continue to add souls uh, to your kingdom and uh, save many uh, people that are still on the broadway that leads to destruction we look to you, Lord, because we know that salvation is of the Lord. And we just pray that you'll help us as God's people in these days to serve you to the very best of our ability. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the background to this psalm is found in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, David and his 600 men had recently fought and defeated the Philistines to save the town of Keilah. King Saul discovers where David is and he believes now that he is David trapped. David inquires of the Lord if the men of Keilah would betray him into the hands of Saul and God confirms that yes, that's exactly what they would do. Therefore, David and his men escape Keilah to live in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul's son Jonathan then secretly meets with David to encourage him not to fear and to remind David that one day he would be king of Israel. Every Christian needs a friend like Jonathan because again it seems that David's true friends are in short supply. And this time it is the Ziphites that were going to betray David. They go to Saul and they tell him that David was with them in the desert 
And now they encouraged Saul to come and get him. Saul's army was closing in on David with only a mountain between them. And it was probably at this crucial moment that most of this psalm refers to. David may have written the psalm after the danger had passed, with the last two verses being added to express thankfulness for his great deliverance. It would be a good thing to turn to this psalm every time we feel under pressure, every time we are distressed or in a corner or experience an attack from the enemy, because this psalm reveals to us three stages in David's experience when he turned to the Lord for help. So we're going to look tonight at David's desert deliverance. And first of all, we see here in the first three verses, the prayer of David, the prayer of David. You know, David here was in great danger. All around him, he had enemies. The men of Keilah were against him. The Ziphites had become hostile to him. The army of Saul was closing in like the Egyptians were closing in on the Israelites on the edge of the Red Sea. Of course, on that occasion, it was Moses who turned to God for help. But now, over 400 years later, David, in his distress, calls on the same God to save him. The same God of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He still reigns today and he is still in the business of coming to rescue his people. In the wilderness, David found no shelter or safety. He found no rest or refuge. So he came to the Lord God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. So do not be surprised if you find no lasting shelter or safety, no rest or refuge until you get to heaven. And dear lost soul tonight, you will only find shelter and safety. You'll only find rest and refuge in Christ, the solid rock, because all other ground is sinking sand. David was the rightful king of Israel. The future of the nation and his family dynasty, which included the coming Messiah, it depended on his survival. David was troubled for the future. This was a desperate prayer. And as we see, God hears the desperate prayers of his people. I wonder, is there someone listening in tonight and you're worried about the future? You might be anxious about what will happen to your wee family if God decides to take you home. Well, friend, I want to tell you that there is no need to fear tonight because God hears your prayers and has your circumstances completely under control. And God's ways are always the best ways. David prays in the name of the Lord. Verse 1, he says, Save me, O God, by thy name. His pleadings are based on God's character and nature, especially God's strength in verse 1 and God's faithfulness in verse 5. David pleads in God's name for God's strength and power. He appeals to the faithfulness of God, something he had relied upon when he was a shepherd boy and when he was facing Goliath. In his experience, many men could not be trusted, but he knew God was completely faithful. David continues here in verse 2, Hear my prayer, O God. My friend, can I remind you this evening? No matter what you're going through right now, so long as you believe that God has ears to hear, you will never ever be in real trouble. If you're lost, then friend, I would encourage you to call upon the name of the Lord and he will hear you. And if you're a child of God, but like David, maybe greatly burdened this evening, then please, brother and sister, cast all your care upon him, for he doth careth for you. And that's really what David is doing here in this psalm. David's militia, you see, they were no match for Saul's army. David's weapons were of limited use, 
But you see, his prayer was powerful. It had the potential to summon legions of angels in heaven to come to earth by his side. Prayer is a mighty weapon that causes horrific terror among the devil and his demons. Why else would the devil put so much effort into keeping God's people away from the prayer meeting? Something that he's very good at, by the way. We have a tremendous arsenal of prayer at our disposal, and yet, yet we rarely put it into effective use. If Winston Churchill had kept the RAF Spitfires and Hurricanes in storage during the Battle of Britain, the way that the, that the church keeps her weapon of prayer in storage most of the time, then Hitler would have beaten Britain by the end of 1940. Friend, prayer is a weapon of mass destruction. David knew it, and we must use it. David was appealing to God in prayer because in verse 3 he said, Strangers! had risen up against him. Now the Ziphites were not his enemy. They were actually of his tribe, the tribe of Judah, but he calls them strangers because they might as well have been his enemy. The same word is used in Job to describe Job's family and friends. It describes anyone who has turned their back on a friend. And this is what the Ziphites had done here to David. Maybe you have a stranger in your life that at one time used to be your friend, but now they've turned their back on you. Well, I would like to introduce to you a friend tonight, a friend who will never leave you nor forsake you, and his name is Jesus. The Ziphites treated poor David worse than the Philistines had treated him. And you know, sometimes that's the way it is. Sometimes we get the worst treatment from those who should be our friends and family, but they act like total strangers. The Apostle Paul suffered at the hands of false brethren as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he said he suffered at the hands of robbers, his own countrymen, of the heathen, and of false brethren. The Ziphites, they acted spitefully and maliciously. David said they sought after his very soul. Their aim was to betray him into the hands of Saul. Dead or alive, it didn't matter to them. Why did they betray poor David? Well, because they did not know God, that's why. In fact, verse 3 says that they had not set God, God before them. David believed atheism. Atheism was behind their motives. They had no regard for right or wrong. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And so like Judas, they betrayed innocent blood. They had cast off any thought of their creator. They had a choice to make between good and evil. And they foolishly chose the evil. The psalmist says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, there is no such thing as atheists, just a load of fools. They attacked God here by attacking his people. Bible-believing Christians are hated today because God and his word is hated. Jesus said, if the word hit you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Yet we should feel sorry here for these Ziphites and all those who make themselves the enemies of God today. We should. We should feel sorry for them. You see, the contest between good and evil is so unfair and so unequal. When men put their fist up toward God and declare that we will not have this man to reign over us, that is such a mismatch. And yet they persist 
in their foolishness. No good can come of it. Men are guilty, their wages are death, their sentence is hell, and they turn against the only one who can rescue them from the flames. These strangers were unworthy to be called Israelites. They were supposed to be God's chosen people, but they were so unlike the people of God. Now I wonder, dear Christian, this evening, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a child of God? You know, when the Nazis were sweeping across Europe looking for Jews, they had no problem finding them. Why was that? Well, because their neighbours knew they were Jews, and so they, their neighbours betrayed them. They, they dressed like Jews, they worshipped like Jews, they, they even went to the synagogue as Jews do. I wonder, does your neighbour know that you're a Christian? If the enemy were to come looking for you, will you be recognised as a child of God? Or will they not be able to tell the difference? So David's natural instinct here was to plead his case, to cry for help, to pray for assistance from his best friend and ally. At the end of this verse 3, David here puts in a little sila. It means to pause and to consider what we've just heard and what we've just read. In other words, it is time to draw breath, to take a break, to stop and to think and to let this sink in here. To take time out and to press the pause button on life, it's often a good thing to do. And you know, in many ways, that's exactly what the coronavirus has made us do. We've been forced to press the pause button on our busy lives for a little while. And now we have the time to look around, to see where we are, to look where we're going. Time to reset the clock, to refocus on what is important in our lives. Our children, our grandchildren. Time to meditate upon the word. Time to get serious in prayer. And time to put the spotlight back on God. So we've seen here, first of all, the prayer of David, but now in verses 4 and 5, we switch to the power of God. So David has summoned the assistance of God in prayer, and I believe it is at this point in the story when God immediately sends Jonathan to David in response. David is then transformed from being a desperate man to being a delighted man. And you know, this is how quickly God will respond to us when we are in a desperate situation. And this is when things begin to turn around here for David. Do you see the impact that one visit, one phone call, even one text message can have on a disheartened friend? Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are they the angels? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? However, you know something? God doesn't need to send angels from heaven to comfort his children on earth if they have friends like Jonathan. I wonder, have you got what it takes to be an angel on earth? Have you got a friend like Jonathan? More importantly, are you being a friend like Jonathan? When Paul first got saved on the road to Damascus, the other disciples, they didn't trust Paul. They wanted nothing to do with him. But Barnabas, Barnabas, he drew alongside him as his friend. And do you know what Barnabas means? It means son of encouragement. In Acts 11 and 24, he is described as being a good man. 
full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. May God help us all to be more like Barnabas and ministering angels to our friends who need us. David says here in verse 4, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. If we are for God, then God is for us. If we speak up for God, God will speak up for us. Ungodly men and women, the devil and his demons may seek our destruction, but they will never prevail as long as God is our helper. If you're listening in and you're maybe causing trouble for a Christian and causing trouble in a Christian's life, well, let me tell you that you're picking a fight that you simply cannot win and you need to be very careful tonight. Because God will not tolerate you making trouble for his people. Every man and his dog have been causing trouble for this little nation. For little Israel for thousands of years. And you know what? She is stronger now than she has ever been. God who will one day rapture his church and deliver them from the wrath to come. He will sustain, support and shield his people. David's enemies were everywhere. The Philistines, the men of Keilah, the men of Ziph, and the men of Saul. But notice how David, he didn't turn to his 600 men for help. No, he turns to God for help. Why? Because God is better than a million men. A million. David is overwhelmed with joy as he remembers how powerful God really is. He says, behold. It means to gaze, to observe, and to witness this remarkable reality. God will protect me. By his mighty power, he says. In the same verse, he goes on to say that the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Those who allied themselves with David's cause were also assured here of God's protection. David was glad to have the companionship of 600 loyal men. And no doubt every one of them would have given their lives for David. But with God in the midst of them, they were now indestructible. You know, it's great to have loyal friends by our side. But it's even greater when they have God as their leader. Verse 5 says, He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. You know, the evil, the ungodly bring against us. God so easily repels. He ensures that it rebounds and ricochets back to them again. When we pray for them and forgive them and they refuse to repent, God will, will then judge them. And that is the reason why we don't take a revenge ourselves. The psalmist says, it is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. What are we to do? Well, we're just to sit back and let God deal with them. And he will be sure of that. Second Chronicles 20 and 15, it says that, Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid. For the battle is not yours, but God's. If we can believe God's promises of eternal life to his people, then we can equally trust in God's threatening of eternal damnation on the devil's people. Never doubt it. Never doubt it. What utter cruelty. Just think about it. What utter cruelty it would be for victims if the victim maker got away unpunished. God assures us that they will be punished much more severely than they could ever be in any courtroom on earth. Friend, every unsolved murder case will be reopened 
at the great white throne judgment when the books are opened. You better believe it. You better believe it. Spurgeon says those who shoot the arrows will one day fall upon the arrows. And Jesus said, all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. They will be cut down in God's truth and stopped in their tracks by God's word. The psalmist said, But thou, O God, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. After death will come the judgment. And if you're not saved, still in your sin, be sure that God's truth will be fulfilled. And dear sinner, this is what I don't want you to miss from this uh, message this evening. God's goodness is what makes him passionate, passionate about justice. And this is why every murderer and every rapist will be brought to justice on judgment day. But please listen, friend. Please understand this. We are all hell-deserving rebels. And God is so holy. God is so good. God is so pure that he must judge every sinner for every type of sin. All our anger and our greed and our envy and our pride and our lust and our lying and our stealing and our jealousy and all our hatred. The only way we can enter into the presence of such a righteous God is to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Friend, it's only the pure in heart that shall see God. Praise God that David's Saviour had the power to deliver him from his enemies. And that same God today has the power to wash all, and I mean all, our sins away. For there's enough power in the blood to make the vilest sinner clean. So there's the, pra pra the, the prayer of David and the power of God. But finally we see in the last two verses of this psalm, the praise of David. You know, when we pray as David did, we will witness the power of God come to our rescue. And then we will praise him for his faithfulness. Verse 6, it says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. Sacrifices, of course, would have been expensive. But when David thought on the certain death that God had just delivered him from, then no expense would be spared to show his gratitude towards his God. You know, when we take a few minutes to remember the certain death and destruction and the damnation that our God has delivered us from, then we should hold nothing back from him. We should be enthusiastic and delighted to give him our time, our talents, and yes, even our ties. And by the way, God loves a cheerful giver. David had a thankful heart. And he gave freely and willingly and wholeheartedly. The more we receive from God, the more of our resources we should make available to God. And you cannot receive any more than eternal life. And yet giving for David was not enough. It wasn't enough. Because he says, I will praise thy name, O Lord. For it is good. Top priority for David, you see, was to praise the Lord and to lift up his voice in thanksgiving. He appealed to God's name in prayer in verse 1. But now he amplifies God's name in praise in verse 6. Let us never forget 
to give God the glory for every blessing he gives us, whether it's our family, our food, our fellowship, our shelter, our safety, or our salvation. May we always praise the name of the Lord our God. There is no one better place to praise God from the mountaintop than those who have been saved from the horrible pit. There is no one more qualified to worship him than those who have proved and tested and experienced the preciousness of his name during hard times and indeed harsh conditions. We've all been there. So God alone deserves our undivided attention and devotion. God's name is not only great, but also worthy to be praised. Not only is it our duty and responsibility to praise the name of the Lord our God, but it is certainly proper and pleasant and profitable and good for us to do it. The psalmist says it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto his name. As the people of God, we will never be so happy and never ever be so holy as when we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and fully immerse ourselves in the praise and worship of our great and our good God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Remember in verse 3 when David said that his enemies did not set God before them? Well, you know what? David was not like his enemies. David was different. He was different. And David reminds me of a young lad that gave his testimony one time at Colin Tinsley's uh, summer camp in Tully Moor just outside Newcastle and he got up and he was testifying and he said this he said he was different than all the other boys and girls in his school class but you know what he said he didn't mind being different he liked being different may we all be like that young man may we all stick out like sore thumbs and be different from the rest of the world David was different David had two birthdays David's father was no longer the devil David's father was Jehovah God creator of heaven and earth, the wonderful, merciful saviour, the precious redeemer and friend. And so David sacrifices and give, gives praises to him alone. There were no other gods before him. In verses 1 to 6, David is speaking to God, but in verse 7, he seems to be speaking to someone else. Maybe he's speaking to himself. Maybe he's speaking to his 600 men that stood with him. Well, whoever it was, he's telling them all about what God has just done for him. Verse 7 he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. God delivered and rescued him. David watched as Saul withdrew his army to deal with the Philistines, forced to retreat to deal with a diversion that God had mustered to answer the call of his friend in the desert. In 1 Samuel 23 verse 26, it tells us Saul was closing in. David's discovery and death was imminent. But God stepped in and used the Philistine invasion to save David and danger was averted. Brothers and sisters, God will leave no stone unturned to keep you safe. Even going to the extent of sending whole armies at the last minute to rescue. So whatever you're going through, do not give up. Do not despair. God is in control. David, I suppose in many ways, was like a little rabbit he was always on the lookout always this constant threat always in constant danger and yet with god above him he was always completely safe and believer so are you so are you 
when you belong to God, he will be pledged like any loving father to keep you out of all trouble. He preserves those who are trusting in him. You know, eternal life does not begin when you die, friend. Eternal life begins the moment that you repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all proved God's companionship to be absolutely true as we look back at our lives. He is our fellow traveller through life. He changes not. And so tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that, he will guard, he will protect and he will defend us until it's our time to go home. Friend, if you're weary and troubled today, then just remember how God brought you through yesterday and the day before and the day before that. You can always rely on him for everything. David was hiding when he gazed in amazement at his, as his prayer was being answered before his very eyes. And as the dust in the desert settled, Saul was now nowhere to be seen. He had looked upon David with contempt, but David had looked at him in triumph, knowing that the battle was already won without a shot being fired. David desired safety, and when he saw the forces of Saul retreat, he knew he was delivered from all his troubles. And of course, later on, he would say, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Friend, if you're not saved, then the reality is you're in a whole lot of trouble this evening and your greatest desire must be safety. Safety from sin, safety from the consequences of sin, safety from the punishment for sin. And only David's God can provide the safety and the salvation that you need. David had more suffering and hardship to experience before he would ascend to the throne of Israel. But he was confident that the Lord would see him through it all. And he did. He did. Now, brothers and sisters, we do not know what the future holds for any one of us, but we can be sure this evening that God will see us through. There has never been a redeemed soul that hasn't made it to heaven yet. God has seen them through and God will see you and I through. Like David, you may be in the desert of despair this evening. Friends may be few and enemies may be many, but we have in this psalm of David a roadmap to recovery. Let us pray as David prayed. Let us observe the power of God as David witnessed. And then let us praise God for his faithfulness and give him and him alone all the glory. David, as we know, was a type of Christ. God the Father delivered his son from a state of humiliation and, a, and from the grave. In fact, the Lord Jesus was sure that that's how it was going to be. He said in Mark's gospel that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's what happened. David, he was delivered from the desert and he was sure he would go on to reign over Israel and he was sure this evening that one day soon the Lord shall reign over this earth and we shall reign with him for a thousand years and then live with him for all eternity in the new heaven and in the new earth. Oh, friends, we need to be encouraged this evening. Of course, none of us are there yet, but very soon we will be. Very, very soon we will be. Oh, friends, let that sink in this evening. Very soon we will be. Selah.
seal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word this evening. We thank you for David and for what he's, he's taught us, Lord, here uh, through his Psalms. And we thank you, Lord, for how we can learn from his experiences, Lord, not only when he was a shepherd, not only when he was in the, in the desert as a fugitive, but when he was king of Israel. And Father, we thank you uh, that you are still on your throne today. And we just pray for anyone that's still in their sin, that they would uh, put their faith and trust in David's God this evening and repent of their sin. We thank you that you're still on your throne. We thank you that you're still in the business of saving precious souls. And so, Father, we just pray again that you would bless everyone that's taken the time this evening to uh, tune in to your word. We pray that you would bless every home, bless every, bless every home as household salvation. And again, Lord, as we look forward to the weekend, we pray that you would bless the, the, the uh, driving services wherever they're held, wherever your word is faithfully preached. And then, Lord, as we intend to take to the streets on Sunday evening, we pray that you'll bless your word and that your word will reach folk that perhaps are never normally reached with this life-saving message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the great privilege that it is to serve you in these days. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.